This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The World Market Watch is brought to you by CMB Preferred. Good morning, I'm Philip C. And with me is Chong Jensen and Shazana Mokta. And we are The Morning Run. It is 7.06 in a for very beautiful morning. First, let's recap how global markets have closed the previous days. So US markets, they were closed yesterday, but for Friday's closing, the Dow was up 0.5%, the S&P 500 was up 0.6%, and the Nasdaq was up 0.2%. For Asian markets, only the Nikkei and the Shanghai Composite Index was open yesterday. So both the Nikkei and the Shanghai Composite, they were both up by 0.7%. Well, let's hope that the FTSE FBM KLSA, which closed on Friday up 0.4%, will hit, hit the 1,500 territory. But joining us on the line for analysis on what's moving markets, we speak to Vishnu Varathan, Head of Economics and Strategy at Misoho Bank. A very good morning to you, Vishnu, and Merry Belated Christmas. Uh, now, Vishnu, I want to ask you, you know, for centre, right, would the Fed cheese be on the naughty or nice category? Good morning, uh, well, I, I think the, uh, uh, the the way I think about it is uh, it, it's probably going to be on the uh, somewhat naughty side of things. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and I think at the end of the day, uh, perhaps the, the biggest thing about the, you know, the, 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 the Fed's take on or, or, or the Fed's approach uh, to the economy with the, the global knock-on effect uh, is that Almost certainly, they would need to over tighten, uh, and and you know the the lending needs to be somewhat jarring, even if it's not outright hard. Do you think the application will also be you know applied to Asian central banks? Will they remain as hawkish as the Fed and ECB? I mean, that's that's a far more nuanced thing, um, and I and and the sense is that many Asian central banks are now at least ready to move into a neutral setting to pause. Uh, if it's based solely on the growth inflation mix uh, that they are dealing with, however, I think for Asian central banks, you know, unfortunately, they are uh, price takers of whatever the Fed does, and so uh, another big part of that equation is uh, the so-called macro stability risks. What happens to markets? What happens to in particular currencies? And so, if the if the the downside risks to currencies from the Fed tightening is too much, then the Asian central banks cannot shift. To, to a, uh, you know, an, an overtly dovish position too quickly. And Vishnu, the Singapore dollar is set to end 2022 as Asia's strongest performing currency. Will that hold up moving into 2023? Which currency may possibly threaten its position for, for its existing pole position against the greenback? <laughs> I, I think that's a, I mean, that, that's a very valid question, but one that needs context. So when it's in the pole position, it just means it's averted making huge losses. It's just barely above water, uh, about the only one. And, and I think it's been a story of dollar strength. Uh, there, of course, there, there are many reasons why, you know, the Sing dollar might have outperformed, not the least of which uh, was, you know, an exceptional uh, three-time uh, so-called step appreciation as part of the monetary policy uh, that, that you know perhaps added between five to six percent on a trade-weighted basis for Sing dollar. Going into next year, uh, maybe we can decompose this into two parts. One is uh, you know is is the the risk-off team from our tightening Fed going to remain? Because that once you get the risk-off team flipping over uh, into a risk-on team, then certainly Sing dollar will not be. That the leader, you get the higher beta currencies outperforming. Also, with the China reopening stories, I, I think uh, you you perhaps get at least the, the tourism 
factor, uh, perhaps boosting the Thai baht a, a little bit more as, as, as long as untainted by global recession risks. Um, and and, and the, the same applies for the commodity argument as well, at which point global recession risks overtake. Uh, by and large, I, I think the, the big sense that we get is on a defensive positioning, the Sing dollar might, might, might do a little better. But as we've seen, even in the last month of the year, uh, the Sing dollar did not outperform. In fact, the margin, it slightly underperformed, uh, uh, you know, losing the, the, the margin of its lead uh, as, as market turned a bit brisk on. You just touched on it just now, but I want to get your perspective. How do you think markets will respond to China now ending COVID quarantine rules for foreign ar- arrivals effective January 8th? What do we expect to see in markets in the coming week ahead? I, I expect to see disappointment first. Uh, and only because on the initial release of the news, we, we saw you know uh, too much of optimism being infused. And in. I think there was little accounting for two things. One is that in, in any course of events, uh, getting the population vaccinated and reopening is going to be a bumpy path, uh, especially as in the initial phases like we're witnessing now, you know, infections start picking up. Uh, the second part of which is, I think a lot of uh, confidence came through uh, uh, from the China reopening story because it's coupled uh, with all that liquidity backstop that the property market was getting. Uh, we'll be the first to concede that, you know, this suite of measures is in fact quite compelling. But what it does is it buys time. It's, it's not a guarantee that, you know, you restore confidence to a level that uh, the property companies can, can get back uh, that kind of strong cash flows that then create that construction economic cycle. So there's an over-accounting for how much of a boost it'll be. It may not be as big and certainly not as imminent. So what I expect is uh, the China reopening story is a cyclical tailwind, uh, no doubt, but not as large and not as imminent. And, and I think particularly as it comes up against global recession risks. So I, I do expect uh, Q1 to be a bit of a morning after effect, maybe more lift coming through in Q2. But by the time we hit the middle of the year, uh, there may be bigger fish to fry. And Vishnu, the inversion of the two and 10-year US Treasury yield curves has split the market into two groups. One sees it as a red flagging impending recession, while the other is signalling the normalisation of the economy and inflationary pressures waning. Which camp do you belong to and why? I think the market is not wrong. There's a bit of both uh, involved here. Uh, and and that, that explains that, that kind of volatility we've seen in the inversion. Uh, but I, I think what we need to concede first is uh, even with the normalization, with, with inflation coming back down lower, uh, so on and so forth, uh, we do not sidestep uh, the recession risk. These two things are not mutually exclusive. Uh, so as, as it is now, uh, with where the yield curve inversion is, which is pretty deep. It's been averaging close to 40 basis points over the last 23 to 24 weeks. Uh, and, and the evidence so far has been for a yield curve inversion that's this deep uh, and this uninterrupted. In another, say, uh, 20 to, say, 50 weeks, uh, recession risks start to rise. You know, Historically, looking back at a, a few cycles, uh, between 40 to 80 weeks is the lead time uh, that has been the warning given by the the 10-year, two-year inversion. So by the time we get to the middle of the year, we'll get to see whether this is true or not. And this may also be exactly why markets are betting against the Fed that's saying that it will keep the rates on hold, but markets are thinking in the second half the Fed will have to cut because they are aware and cognizant of, of rather acute recession risks. 
we do not sidestep the recession risk. At the same time, we seem to have overhyped the China opening. So help us understand what the what the implications are on the global supply chain there. Uh, that's that's really uh, something that you know uh, it's it's, diff- it's easy to overplay on either side. Uh, our sense is <clears throat> our sense at looking at China is that China has 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 sort of uh, you know put uh, measures in place such that it's. Uh, supply side production of, of the economy is able to carry on even with outbreaks on and so forth. And given that they haven't gone into a full lockdown mode, I think the disruptions may not be as severe, even though we might find some you know, uh, patches here and there, uh, you know, no, uh, dark patches here and there that, that, that does impede. So my big worry is not a sustained uh, supply chain disruption. Uh, my my big worry becomes uh, has got more to do uh, with whether the the, the, the crosswinds uh, from and and I'm going to shift from COVID to geopolitics because uh, the geopolitical tightening of news around China uh, you know with the chips zone and so forth uh, we don't really know how that's going to impact against uh, a, a potential global downturn. Uh, and I think therein lies the risk. There could be a lot more volatility in commodities. Uh, we may presume things like the peak US dollar, but also we know going into a recession, uh, it's very rare that EM currencies outperform a US dollar. So it becomes harder to project uh, a so-called typical cycle uh, as, as we head into 2023. Vishnu, as always, thank you so much for your insights. That was Vishnu Barthan, Head of Economics and Strategy at Misuho Bank. I think highlighting the multiple challenges and uncertainties we face in 2023. Now, one one theme that seems to be uncertain really is uh, the challenges, right? The geopolitical challenges that Vishnu was talking about, especially the chip challenges. And one company that best exemplifies that is Tesla, because it seems that they've suspended production at its Shanghai plant on Saturday, bringing ahead a previous plan to pause most work at the plant in the last week of December. And Tesla planned to suspend Model Y production at the plant from December 25th to January 1st, and the suspension of the Model Y assembly at the end of the month will be part of a cut in plant production of about 30% in the month for the model. It has not been established practice for the plant to shut down for a year and holiday, and the suspension comes among a rising wave of infections after China eased its zero-COVID policy earlier this month. So workers at Tesla and its supply have also been falling sick as a part of this this way, posing challenges to operations in the past week as well. It's a very interesting uh, story I'm hearing here because we just saw overnight, right, China, China is easing foreign quarantine requirements. And one would expect that production should recover. But the interesting flip side here is that as a result of reopening, you're seeing ch- uh, workers getting more sick as result facilities are closing. I find that a very interesting story. Yeah, I think Indeed. That- Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 it's something that Vishnu also um, alluded to in our conversation with him earlier when he mentioned that uh, any reopening on China's side is really going to have a, a rock. It's going to be a rocky time period yeah. because when you reopen, you still have to contend with um, levels of infection. So this is just that uncertainty still in the air. Yeah, I mean, the uncertainty is something we will have to watch and monitor. Up next, we'll cover the top stories in the newspaper and portals this morning. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. The World Market Watch is brought to you by CIMB Preferred. Moving forward with you. Visit cimbpreferred.com.my for their preferential services beyond banking. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.